Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. Each week, we introduce you to the movers and shakers of the craft beer business and other fields that we find interesting. I'm here in the taproom with my co-host, JWB's Directors of Operation, Maria Cabre. Hello, Maria. Who's our first guest this week? Our first guest seemed destined for a career in pharmaceuticals. A summer job as a tour guide at Coors Plant changed his career path. He went to graduate school at UC Davis and later founded Casey Brewing and Blending at the confluence of the Colorado and Roaring Forks Rivers. Casey is one of Rape Beer's top 100 breweries in the world, but their mission is to keep it local in everything they do. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Troy Casey. Thank you very much for joining us today. How you doing, man? Oh, doing good. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to have you on. So, uh, so did your uh, did your Facebook group uh, who determined the boxing winner from that picture we took? <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was pretty <laughs> funny. So, when uh, I was just out there a couple weeks ago, um, and we got to meet everybody, and I got to meet you guys for the first time, and um, we uh, there was a kind of an inside joke with our Facebook um, private Facebook group for our membership club that people wanted uh, wondered who would win in a fight, me or Jonathan. <laughs> so we took a funny picture um, of uh, you know fake boxing each other, and uh, it was clearly I would not win. It would be clearly Jonathan. <laughs> Well, 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 you know, that's, that's two, two, you know, two to be determined. So yeah. Hopefully not. no, Hopefully no, never, not. never, never, never. That's why we collaborated on beers. So, um, yes. your career in beer actually started at the macro level. You gave tours at the Coors Brewery in Golden, Colorado. You were in college at the time, majoring in chemistry. By the way, we've had quite a few chemistry majors on the beer hour here, as should be such in, in the brewing industry. How did that insider's view of a brewery change your career trajectory? The, um, so my dad had been, my dad worked, uh, he worked in, in the brewing industry for his whole, uh, his whole career. Um, he worked for the big brewers. Uh, he had a PhD in applied microbiology, so wow. he was always on the quality um, side of things, trying to make sure the, the, the big macro beers taste the same, um, no matter where they were brewed all around the world. Wow. Um, and so that's kind of what uh, allowed me to get a job as a tour guide at Coors. Um, and so getting to see the overall process um, from start to finish at the world's largest single site brewery at the time um, was definitely eye opening with, uh, with how much of a potential career you could have. Um, in the brewing industry using the science um, science background. So it really allowed me to see just how much science is needed to make that style of beer um, around the world. And uh, that's kind of what pushed me in the direction to start um, brewing. So what, what type of degree did you get from uh, UC Davis? So I did my undergraduate um, in University of Colorado in, uh, in chemistry. And then I did my master's degree in um, uh, food science oh, wow. with the emphasis being all about brewing. So um, before I left Davis, I uh, passed the um, Institute of Brewing and Distilling um, Diploma Brewers course. And so that would have been the uh, kind of the highest degree in brewing specifically that I, um, that I got from Davis when I was at Davis. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I didn't know that. That's great. So you actually have a master's in food science. That's that Correct. is actually yeah. crazy. <laughs> that actually yeah, helps in the brewing industry a lot. 
right when I it was I when I was there though I had no interest in in winemaking or in uh, in um, any type of um, still fermentation spirits, yeah. that didn't have to do with brewing. And so I, uh, I I often think back and just kick myself for not taking more wine classes since the kind of beers that we all make are there's so much uh, correlation to the winemaking process. I would agree with that 100%. There is very much a large correlation between the two. When, um, when did you, so when along the lines did you start home brewing? I only home brewed once when I before going to UC Davis and it was uh, and I never tasted it throughout the process <laughs> and so I, I built a kegerator I tapped the beer um, I poured it and it was just awful it was terrible so I just kind of uh, ceremoniously dumped it down the in the in the street because um, it was just so so bad what was it um, what what was it do you remember I don't even remember what style <laughs> it was probably like a fat tire clone or something like that this was when I would have been 21 or 22 um, and so I uh, I never really started homebrewing until after grad school uh, at, at UC Davis they had the original brewing system was a, a really nice five gallon uh, system that had been used for decades um, before they uh, and it, so it was kind of mothballed when we got there because they had a much more modern um, pilot brewery to do research on. Okay, but one of my um, classmates and I we would brew on it every chance we got. I think we did like forty recipes um, before we left, and so I really learned a lot about small batch brewing on that system. Um, and then once I started brewing at Coors again, I home brewed for a little bit. And uh, before we was able, before I was able to kind of satisfy that itch enough at work, since I was working in the pilot brewery there. Nice. So, being at Coors, being on the pilot brew system, what were you brewing there exactly? Yeah, for sure. So, when after grad school, I was uh, I was hired as a pilot brewer, which meant uh, before before um, which meant two things. There was kind of two areas that we were working on. We would brew things like tr- qualifying new ingredients for. Um, like Coors Light, right? So we would qualify a new batch of, um, uh, a new batch of hops or a new malt variety that would be going into it. Um, But we would also, it was kind of really early um, for Coors trying to um, piggyback off the success of Blue Moon um, by launching their own um, craft brands. So back in the the mid-2000s or late 2000s, they, the big buyouts of, of different craft brewers hadn't really started or, or kind of snowballed yet. And so they were really in, in the focus of trying to build those brands themselves. And so we did a lot of R&D work trying to create the next Blue Moon. Oh, huh. And I think, you know, I remember I've been in the game for a while now in the early 2000s. And I remember reading, I think you were actually, that's where your sour beer started was there, wasn't it? Yeah. So um, when I left Davis, which is in Northern California, right. for those that might not know, um, which is also where Russian River Brewing is. Correct. And so they're obviously incredibly famous for their sour beers. So before I left, I bought some of their um, very early batches of sour beers, um, not because I had any enjoyment of sour <laughs> beers. I just knew that they were um, special. And then I knew brewers back in Colorado would uh, would appreciate it, so I bought them basically to give away as gifts. Um, and uh, we, but then I got back to Colorado, um, started really continuing down the, the rabbit hole of cra- craft beer and styles. Um, and I was I was hand sold. I had to be hand sold a bottle of Cantillon. 
uh, oh. goes. Oh. So back in the day when Cantillon was just it would sit on the shelf, um, you needed to, uh, to people needed to hand sell it to get it out the door to move. Exactly. Um, I tried it and it just kind of went nuts with it from there on. So yeah, we started doing sours at Coors. So so when did the idea for opening Casey Brewing and Blending come about during this process? You would say. Yeah, I just fell. I just, I just fell in love with sour beers. I fell in love, and I, I, uh, I fell in love with the, the magic of creating something that that still has, the, it, you know, there's still magic in these processes of tasting barrels and blending to get different flavors, right? As you know, obviously, right. We were making so many different types of um, of lager at the time, like like what I would consider craft lagers, you know, full flavored. German style, European style lagers. Um, and to do that, you've got to be very consistent. So you're basically brewing by numbers. You're always trying to hit a certain spec. Um, and in doing so, you're going to make a beer taste amazing, but it's going to taste hopefully ideally the same as the last time you made it. Obviously we all know this. Um, the, uh, so what was so much fun about these sours was how, how much magic was in it. You could put the same base beer in two different barrels, but you can come up with something completely different after the aging process. Uh, and so we started doing more and more of these. We were um, allowed to run with it. Um, we sold some commercially under the AC Golden name. Yes, I remember um, that. Yep. And so there was some really good feedback from the local uh, beer geeks here in Colorado. And uh, I started writing up a business plan. Once I kind of figured out that I don't think Coors was really going to go all in on these ideas, on, on these brands. Um, my girlfriend at the time, wife now, she had moved to the valley that we currently live in, and we just fell in love with it. Uh, it's about three hours west of Denver. Um, and so we kind of decided it's now or never if we're going to try this thing, um, give it a shot, and it's now or never. And uh, we went we went off to the races with it. <laughs> That's awesome. That, I mean, that, always taking that uh, proverbial leap is, is a, uh, an exciting one. Since we are on, on business radio, how did you go about financing the opening of the brewery? It was a little bit of everything. So we did, I moved after my, my girlfriend had moved to the mountains. I moved back in with my parents. And so we had, uh, we started saving, I saved money from not paying rent. Um, <laughs> I uh, took a loan. I borrowed against my 401k. We had a, I had a small 401k after working for five years um, at Coors. So we borrowed against the 401k, just personal savings. Uh, and then friends and family getting business, getting low personal loans from uh, friends and family. Nice. And then starting incredibly small. We started with probably uh, less than $200,000 to get it up and down, uh, up and going. So what, what, what was your initial brewery setup like? What size uh, brew house did we you have? We had no brew house. No. Yeah, no brew house. And so we, uh, we, would, um, we kind of followed the idea of Belgian um, Lambic blenders who oh. don't brew their own work but they buy the wort from other people and then ferment and age it. And so we um, started with no brew house. So we just started with some stink, uh, some totes, some IBC totes that we would take to a brewer. They would make our recipes with our ingredients and we would fill the tote, the wort up. It would be cooled wort. We would take the wort back to the, our cellar where we would put it and ferment it in um, oak wine barrels. Nice. So when we first started, we only had one stainless steel tank. All the fermentation and everything was done um, in oak barrels and aging. And the only stainless tank we had was for blending. Wow. Uh, and, so, and for packaging out of. Wow. So we had a bunch of wood. We had the stainless tank. And then we had um, like a gravity filler wine, like a wine bottle gravity filler. And then we cork and caged it. So we had the most expensive item at the at first starting was our cork 
our corking unit, um, which yeah. is probably like uh, twelve grand or something. That was wow. about the most expensive thing that we. Yeah, had. those things are expensive, man. <laughs> That's why I never yeah. got one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've been asking. I've been asking to cork beers here before. Yeah, yeah. And John's like, no, no, not no. happening. <laughs> no. No, not no. <laughs> yeah. It's, it wasn't it wasn't cheap, but um, we, because we were we didn't have to put all that capital into uh, a brew house and a lot of stainless fermenters. It was uh, it was definitely a place we wanted to um, to go with uh, with our product. Well, it's definitely paid off though. So, old world techniques, barrel aging, ninety nine percent local Colorado Colorado ingredients. 100% unfiltered, 100% bottle condition. It seems like from the beginning you had a pretty specific idea of how you wanted to brew beer. Why, why were these principles so important to you? I just kind of fell in love with that romantic idea that how brewers used to make beer, right? They would use, right. they would make beer with what they had, and that's how styles came about, right? Um, and so it was uh, because they were just making beer with what they had. And so in college, I, having worked at Coors, and they, we also had Coors at the time had a focus on um, making beers with 100% Colorado ingredients, we um, I had I was easily exposed to um, a lot of the uh, suppliers and areas in Colorado that we had access to these ingredients, um, and so you know it's really you can, it's it, it's not to say that um, that the beers are better because they're with local ingredients, but I just think I can understand the process more, um, being able to work directly with those uh, suppliers, right? So being able to go to the farms, hand select the fruit that we're looking for. Um, Colorado has, a, especially where we live, it's got a very rich um, fruit uh, growing region uh, just yes. about an hour yep. away. And so it's super easy to, um, to find the kind of things that we're looking for. And, and honestly, that's like just my favorite part of the job is getting to find a different variety or a different um, fruit that we've never used before, playing around with it, seeing how it uh, works out and, and uh, how, it, how it does for us. Yeah, I mean, I think that's great. I mean, we've tried to adhere to that as much as possible using the fruits and stuff. Obviously, Florida doesn't grow grain, <laughs> so <laughs> that's a big knock. Uh, and we barely kind of grow hops as well. But the the best we can do is using all those tropical fruits that basically grow an hour from us. You know, mangoes, passion fruit, guava. So I think doing what you can to use as much local ingredients is is a really amazing idea as far as brewing goes. And it's not always doable anymore, right? Like some no. years there's not apricots that we can source from Colorado. And so um, we're kind of at the stage where we really needed, we need apricots. And so yep. we, we go, we still, we'll find those from a nice small grower in California. Um, we, we get some berries from the Pacific Northwest too, because those are yep. kind of hard to find in, in Colorado now. And as you, as you well know, the consumer is always wanting new things. And oh, so yeah. um, we kind of got to do what you got to do. Absolutely. So uh, your first exposure to a brewery was one of the largest in the country. But when it came time to open your own, you wanted to be hyper-local. Is that the key to being successful in a state with over 433 craft beer breweries at last count? I think it was, uh, it was a key to be, um, being different, different, right? We, especially to kind of different, different, creating a point of differentiation um, between what we do and what other people were doing at the time and still do. Uh, and so um, it was just the idea of, keeping it of the production very small and because the beers obviously aren't that we make aren't inexpensive by any means and so um production has you got to think about production volume um to justify that pricing and uh um and it was just kind of it was a one-man show too when we first started it was just me 
So production really had to be small because it was just me at the time when we right. started. Right. What was like your, when was your opening day? Oh, July, uh, the July 4th weekend of uh, 2014. Yeah. And then uh, just, just for our listeners out there, um, 2016 Rate Beer Best Awards, which would have been for 2015, uh, Casey actually took number one best new brewery in the world, barely ahead of us. <laughs> we came in second. But uh, that's always a, a story I like to know is that the number one and number two were you and me for that year yeah, for so being the best was, new breweries was, in the world. I, I, were you at that, were you at that event? I yeah, was I was looking for you, man. I mean, we should have had our boxing match then, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I w- actually, I went out to Santa Rosa for that and it was, uh, it, it was a cool experience. I mean, I, I'm kind of sad they don't do it anymore, but you know, it, it was definitely a fun time to, to be out there and, uh, get those awards. Yeah, I missed it. I wish I, I wish I was there. I really, they kind of kept telling me like, you should really come to this. You should come to this without, you know, telling what was, what was going to happen was going on. And yep. for what, for whatever reason I could, uh, I didn't make it happen. <laughs> You're listening to the beer hour with Jonathan Wakefield. And we're talking to Troy Casey of Casey brewing your obsession with keeping it local, which, you know, obviously we share by the way, extends to ingredients. I, I, I have read that you will actually front the money to local farmers so that they can grow the fruit that you use in your brewing process. How, how does that work? Colorado doesn't have much production for raspberries. Uh, they're just grown on a very small scale. And, uh, and so people don't grow them because of, for the most part, because of how labor intensive it is to pick. And so we wanted to kind of partner with some growers because we wanted Colorado uh, raspberries. And so we wanted to partner with uh, some growers so that they could grow them um, for us. So we put up uh, the cash and then they um, to, to plant a lot, a lot of that fruit. Now, and us not knowing if we'll, it'll ever pan out. Um, the first time we did it with a grower, they had never grown raspberries before and their watering schedule wasn't um, where it needed to be. And so we kind of lost all that fruit. Oh, wow. Uh, and so we've got, we're working with a, another grower now for cherries and more raspberries, but that farm is now for sale. So I don't know if, uh, if that one's going to pan out either. So these are, they're very small investments. Um, but we're trying to work to, so that we can source the fruit, um, as local as possible and, uh, and really just contribute to the economies of these growing regions as well, trying to keep the money local. That's awesome, man. I mean, I, I think that's an amazing idea. I wish, I mean, I wish we'd be able to do that. Might have to look into that now <laughs> you know, to, uh, you know, invest into mangoes that we specifically want for our, our production of like Miami Madness. I think that would work amazingly. For sure. Um, so Glenwood Springs, Colorado is, is a resort town known for its hot springs. What percentage of your guests are locals as opposed to tourists? And how do you successfully cater to both of them? Yes, totally. I'd say the like probably our local residents, our local customers are probably about five percent of uh, of our business, um, and then uh, well over half of our customers are from Colorado, so mostly from the Front Range, um, which would be between Fort Collins, Denver, and Colorado Springs. So I'd say that's the majority of our um, customer customer base is coming from Colorado somewhere. Uh, but it's a, it's a big state, and all the population density is in that front range area between Fort Collins and Colorado Springs. Um, and so we uh, we try to sell as much beer as we can here um, in the state. And then when we have ex- when we have excess, we'll move it around a little bit, just like this dr- drop we just did uh, for the first time. This was our first um, pallet drop outside of uh, outside of the state. Really, really. And where 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 was that exactly? Here in Miami. 
Yeah, here in in Florida. So this this beer went. Uh, we sent one pallet of beer and some kegs, and that went um, kind of uh, uh, all over the state, according to the, the the distributor. Yeah, nice. So so that was really your first kind of foray to distribution outside of your local area. I mean, do you, is it mostly draft that you sent, or was it like a mixed package? And do you have plans to expand beyond that to more distribution? Um, when the pandemic hit, we did a few drops internationally. Right. Um, and, uh, but we had never done anything, um, domestically. And, uh, and so the, um, the, the, the shipment that we sent to you guys was mostly bottles with, um, a handful of kegs and, um, yeah, we're going to keep doing that with, uh, people have been asking for our beer for, um, a long time. Uh, and we've always turned down these distributors because, um, of our production volumes, but as we continue to slowly grow and hire more people, um, we definitely see the strategy and, uh, the strategic um, sense for the business of sending it a little bit here, a little bit there, um, much like all of our famous um, Belgian-style sour brewers have been doing for uh, for decades now. Right. Nice. Nice. So I think we had talked when you were in town here. Aside from mixed fermentation sours, what else are you brewing these days? Yeah, so back in 2018, we got our, our, uh, our own brew house. So we were brewing enough um, at that point to justify buying a brew house. So we got our own brew house and we got a few seven barrel fermenters as well. Um, so it's a seven barrel brew house. We got a few seven barrel fermenters. Um, and it was honestly the, the fact that we wanted to, uh, to start to make different like IPAs and stouts and lagers um, that kind of pushed me to write up the business plan to open up a second location. Oh. So we have two locations here in Glenwood Springs. We have um, our barrel cellar, which is kind of off the beaten path, very little foot traffic. Okay. Uh, and then we opened up in 2019, we opened up a tap room in downtown Glenwood Springs. So it's a big um, tourist town in Western Colorado. Uh, and so we're right in the heart of that. Um, and so by getting to brew some uh, IPA and lagers and stouts that we can have those available at our tap room, um, that's just been really fun, creative outlet for us. And so we do some traditional style German lagers. We do some, uh, the hazy IPAs and some of the West coast style IPA as well. Um, and then we definitely got on the, uh, the stout, um, game doing these big, um, adjunct stouts that, that you all <laughs> down there in Florida, yes. uh, uh, may do so well. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, uh, that's definitely part of the big mix and big game nowadays you have to make, uh, Hazy IPAs and and stouts. Even though I'm seeing a big resurgence in craft loggers, I mean, I, I think that's yeah, on definitely. a major come up. Anything new on the horizon for 2022 and, and going forward? Are you looking at another location? I mean, uh, any big plans ahead? No, nothing major, really. Um, I mean, it's that idea for a, a second lo- second location is always in in the back of your mind, and it's kind of one of those things you just have to be ready to to jump on it when the opportunity arises. Um, but we're just continuing to try to, um, make our, uh, hazy IPAs and all of our, especially the, the beers, the styles that we haven't been doing for too long. Um, try to keep uh, dialing those in, getting them better and better. Uh, we've got some new access. We just got some, uh, Marion berries in from the Pacific Ooh, Northwest, nice. uh, which are, I believe are a variety of black, of blackberries. So yes, we've never so. used those before. We're excited to try that. Um, and, uh, and just keep experimenting with the, um, with the non-fruited, uh, barrel aged, uh, sour beers. I think that's really, um, the, uh, the, like you and I talked about, that's really the, um, a, a great indicator of, uh, how good a sour brewer is based on how, um, good their non-fruited stuff is. I think even yes. with sours, it's pretty, it's easy to, 
to load up a beer with fruit, but um, the cleaner and the more nuanced the uh, unfruited stuff is, that's just where I continue to um, to find the, to try to um, to just keep keep pushing the envelope with what we can do with those styles. No, I I, I 100% agree with that. Like, it's great that you can you know anybody could probably dump a lot of fruit into anything and it'll taste like that fruit, but. How good does that base beer taste without anything in it? I mean, to me, that's that's your real telltale of how good of a sour brewer you are. I, I do have one last question for you. If you only had one fruit that you could use in your sour process to brew with, what would that be? Um, yeah, you know, like I would say, I mean, having just been in Florida talking with you about fruits and stuff, um, I think uh, – something uh some a, a tropical fruit from down there i couldn't even i don't i don't even know i wouldn't even be able to say which one but um because that's just so far out of the realm of uh of what i could that i, I feel like uh, there's opportunity to use um I, I just never even think about it so i would definitely have to say um whatever your favorite south south florida fruit would be is the one mangoes. That, um, mangoes. That i would want to use mangoes Mango. absolutely mangoes all day <laughs> okay i'll have to send you some mango puree or pulp so there you go. But thank yeah, you very totally. much, Troy. It has been uh, it has been awesome talking to you, man. And thank you very much for coming on the show. And it is uh, is very much a pleasure. I hope you thank have a good you guys one, man. As well, thank you, Jonathan. Stay warm see, out there, see man. You guys again soon. Absolutely. You're listening to the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. Our next guest is the CEO of Fifty Four D, a human transformation program which has exploded onto the fitness scene over the past year. He fell in love with 54D as a client in Mexico. After a move to Miami, he reached out to 54D's founder, former professional soccer player Rodrigo Garduño, to open the first U.S. studio in Miami. Boosted by press coverage of retired baseball star Alex Rodriguez's body transformation, 54D garnered worldwide attention and experienced exponential growth in 2021. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Omar Yunus. Yes. Thank you very much for joining us here in the tap room today. It's uh, very much a pleasure to have you on the show. No, thanks for the invite. So let's jump right in. Yep. Start by explaining what 54D is and how former pro soccer player Rodrigo Garduño mm-hmm. created it. Perfect. So um, 54D, we think of ourselves as a human transformation company. And, and we really mean it. Uh, we're a, a global fitness community that spans over 82 countries now with online presence and three countries, the U.S., Mexico, and Colombia with studios. Oh, wow. Um, we're, our mission is to defeat our physical, mental, emotional uh, limits. And the way we do that is that we train as one with expert guidance, and we really focus on discipline commitment, right? Uh, kind of the whole point of this is to have a clear plan, right? Have real expectations, and uh, and follow up and follow through with uh, right along with the members that are trying to achieve this, which is something that I think is missing from a lot in the fitness world. Right? Yes. Uh, yes, guidance and it's not only the guidance, but it's the being there for somebody, right? And that comes from both from the brand, you know, from us being with the member, but also within the members, right? So when we talk about community, which is again very overused word lately, uh, we we follow up with that. So that's, in a nutshell, 54D. There's a lot of aspects to it, but that's in a nutshell. So this came from Rodrigo. Exactly. He started this, and I think you, we had was, talked about it. How many yeah, years we're now? coming into our 10th uh, year anniversary this year, so we're excited about that in June. Uh, Rodrigo Garduño, who's the founder of the program, he's still the president, he's 
pretty very active within the company. He used to be a soccer player, a professional soccer player in Mexico. Mm. He was for about, I think he started his career when he was like, I don't know, like four or five, like all of those guys. And, uh, they, they need to in that, in that sport. And yes. he was a professional by 17, wow. uh, played in a bunch of different, you know, first league uh, uh, teams in Mexico. And eventually ended up, at, I think his career ended when he was 29. And as most other athletes, suddenly you have you didn't go to school. You, know, you don't know anything else uh, right. to do with your life. Your whole life with soccer. You used to play in you know like sixty thousand you know right. screaming fans, and suddenly you're left with nothing, right? right? So, and he'll talk openly about this. Uh, he went to depression. He didn't know what to do, right? You know, suddenly you're stuck. Uh, you know, what's going to happen with me now? What do I do with my life? And yeah. first step. It was that's his story. Uh, first, I was just trying to get back to a gym because that he knew that, you know, even chemically that would help him, right? Right, mentally. Yeah. So I'll just go in, start you know beating myself into getting into a better <laughs> mood, and eventually figured you know how can I help other people go through this? He had a, a stint at at some t- point as a uh, motivational speaker. He's really good at actually <laughs> at, at talking to people and, and motivating and understanding your psyche. But again, he always saw that whenever you go to one of these um, uh, conferences, whatever, you know, even right. the best ones, you get out of there, you're super hyped, you're super excited, but then there's nothing. It kind of right? falls off. Yeah, here's a bunch yeah. of books, just read it, and, and make your life great. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> so he decided, okay, how can I do this and, and you know, start thinking about how to get people not only in shape, but really change, change their mindset, you know, help them out of strong, difficult situations like, like his uh, depression at that moment. So he started thinking about this. It was a little similar to what he had lived in the soccer world, right? So it's a team. It's somebody who basically the way he designed it after a little bit of trial and error. But, but he was over, always very clear about what he wanted was, a, first of all, group setting, right? right? And it's a proper group setting. It's not somewhere where some people jump in and out. In a soccer team, people don't just in, no. jump in and out. No. Season starts, same team. You have to work through it together. You have yeah. to be there for everybody. Uh, expert guidance. He was an ex-professional soccer player. He started bringing other ex-professional players that were, you know, that had just retired and were going through the same thing. And uh, he didn't want anybody that just thought he was a coach. He wanted somebody who had lived through the process as well. And added both training. Second part was nutrition. Third part was recovery. I mean, back then, recovery was a little bit different. Different, yeah. Uh, but it was still kind of taking care of your body. And that came up to be 54D. So 54D always asked, you know, why is it 54D? It's 54 days, um, six days a week, Monday through Saturday, nine weeks. Why nine weeks? After trial and error. Honestly, nice. you know, really nice. we just was working through it. And he got his first, what we call generations, first groups in. And the way it works is that you literally enroll like school into a specific date. And you start with that same group of people, which tends to be in between 25 to 30. And you're there with them at the same time, every single day for six days a week during nine weeks. And you go through a, it's a tough process. We're not, it's, it's built for anybody. Now, it's usually a lot of people who've never been fit at all. Right. Come back or people who've trained in, you know. Most of in, their life, yeah. In, uh, in professional, not professional, but even amateur sports understand the psyche of it. So it's yeah. interesting because you get people who are super athletic and people who've never exercised in their life. And it's a good combination, actually. I it's think. a great combination yeah. because you learn from each other. And you're there for every single day and you go through the process and then you graduate and we take graduations very seriously and you're, then you understand that you got much more than just losing some fat. That's, that's amazing. So the classic business model in the fitness industry mm-hmm. has always been sell as many gym memberships as mm-hmm. possible. I mean, I've been there, done that. 
in hope that a few stick and become long-term members replace the ones that fall out or don't re-up. 54D believes in training clients like pro athletes, meaning strict adherence to the program, including intense daily workouts, nutrition recovery. I read that if a client misses more than two days in a row, they are asked three days in a row. Yeah, they have actually no over the program. So you've got 300 excused absences. If you you miss your out. You, yeah, we refund your money, Pareto, and we do that. You know, wow. Gladly, okay. not fairly often, because by the time people really enroll, um, they know, they kind of know what they're getting into. Um, of I'll course. give you a, a, a brief example. We don't allow you to just go like online and sign up for for a studio program, like an onsite program. You have to go to an interview with us. It's not to see what your physical level is, just to understand who you are. Why is it you're here? What's your right. goal? It doesn't matter if your goal is lose fat. We had somebody say, I'm climbing the Kilimanjaro. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Whatever it is, you have to have a goal. And that's a first, if you're sitting down with me, you're taking it seriously, right? So, uh, but yeah, if you miss three classes, uh, excused, you're out of the program. If you miss more than five, excused, you're out of the program. If you're three minutes late, you're not allowed in. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whatever. Uh, so, because it is about discipline. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I, I think that... I mean, I'll finish here. So how does that strictness of the program change the client's mindset and yield better results? Well, the thing is that when we talk about this with new clients, what they'll say is, you know, it's, hey, three minutes. I mean, I've got kids. I go to school. I take them to school. And then there's traffic and whatever. And And we tell them as, you know, they can laugh at it. But the way I explain it, if you've got a job, you have to be there on time, right? Yeah. If not, you're getting kicked out. If you're married, if you don't show up at your house a couple of days, you are going to get kicked out, yeah. right? If you went to school, it's exactly the same thing. But for some reason, we tend to think that it's okay to be a mess of that discipline when it comes to our health and well-being. Right. So what we tell people is it doesn't matter if you got five kids. It doesn't matter if you run a huge company. This hour that you're here, I mean, there's no phones. If you take out your phone, we'll kick you out of the class as well. Ooh. Because there's, it's it. an hour for you, right? And even after you graduate, just... By then, people would have grown accustomed to the fact that you have an hour for yourself. So just go to a coffee shop and right, just right. stay by yourself if you want to. But, um, but that discipline really, I think that's the basis of it all. And um, not only in, in, in training, but also in the nutrition aspect of it. So again, everything starts blending in. Um, you're with us an hour a day and 23 hours by yourself. So gaining a discipline of learning how to eat properly is done outside our walls. So at least we're, you know, drilling in the discipline when you're there so you understand that it should be as important when you're back home. So discipline is definitely the basis of it, of it all. I think, I think there's a lot of that <coughs> missing, <clears throat> I mean, from a lot of things in society, but <laughs> <laughs> definitely from the fitness aspect, from the times I go to the gym and whatnot, and certain gyms that I've been to, People are less focused on the training and more focused on just putting themselves on the ground. Oh, you know what I mean? 100%. Like, oh, look at me now. I mean, so where's your real discipline? Where's your real focus? You know what I mean? Hundred percent. And uh, and I'll be happy to share what we think about social media. <laughs> oh, I know. I, no, I, I mean, I'm sure we, that could be a whole different conversation. Yeah. Also, what's what is unique about 54D is that it has a beginning and an end. Mm-hmm. What happens after that? 54 days well uh, the program was designed originally to just go through the program once and basically right. just you know, go you learn something right you're healthy again and maybe you'll come back a year later right what happens and uh, truthfully is that we get about 75 percent renewal rates uh, wow. people don't want to leave which is a good and bad thing for us right 
because at the same time, again, if you think about school, I like to do that. that, <laughs> not that grad, they're not really not graduating. A, a, a lot of a lot of times, right. it's like bringing somebody to first grade and then going back to first grade and again to first grade. <laughs> so, but it's funny because that makes us as a brand evolve over time, right? So you need to understand. And now we're in that process with our tenth year anniversary. I think it's the right time to even go deeper into that change and really understand that the needs for somebody who's coming in for the first time. It doesn't matter if you're super fit. We got people right. who are triathletes, you know, <clears throat> Ironman, whatever. And the first time, it's I don't care. If you're going to exact same discipline as everybody else, right? Because you need to understand the mindset. Afterwards, a you're healthy, you know what you're doing. Well, what's your goal, right? So we need to start evolving with people. You know, we're here in the, yeah. the Temple of Beer, and of it, I, I love beer. But again, you were asking during the program. No, but at some point in their life, they have to start getting a balance in between what they want to do, what they really enjoy, but at the same time, understanding. And that's the main thing. If we, we think we're successful when we teach you know, our members to understand that afterwards, I, I agree with you, you can't, you can't always be in a regime, right? You can't always be in a strict diet. Right. But when you decide to go off it, you know what you're doing. Right. You, you know what you're doing. You know your what body. you're doing. You yeah. can't yeah. fool yourself <laughs> anymore, right? So on our nutrition um, side, we... We started with diets years ago, right? And you just get your diet. But then I got the same diet as you, and I'm about half your size. Right. right? Because it was, it was very difficult to do that. And at the end, I didn't know why I got a result. I did. I, I did get a result, but I didn't know why. Now we teach people. So now it's really about teaching you how to eat. It's frustrating for some. You know, it's like, no, just give me something to eat. No, we're not. Give me a menu. I'm not going to give you a menu. Um, again, we're, gi- we're giving you guidelines. We give you guidelines, and we you know, track you every single week. You go into an in-body scale where you have body composition. We give you – there's, like, phases to the program. We get you into calorie counting because we want you to understand what is that right. you're putting in your body. Right. We teach you how to read, uh, read labels. So one of our main you know, uh, moments uh, or, like, proud moments is when we see some one of our members, especially men – you see, you happen to see with them in a supermarket, and they're watching, you know, like the nutritional label. <laughs> You're like, well, you know, we did something right because you know, at least they know what they're getting their body. Right. So right. it's really about teaching them. Look at look out for how much sodium it has in it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> alcohol, you know, alcoholic beverages <clears throat> are not permitted during the initial fifty four mm-hmm. program. Mm-hmm. What role does a glass of beer or wine play into a healthy lifestyle in fifty four D? Well, I mean, I think it, it's both a glass of wine, a glass of beer, or, or any other or sweets. Again, it just has to do with balance and knowing what you're doing at some right. point, right? right. Uh, why don't we accept it during the program? Uh, it's because, first of all, out of respect for all of the other members, right? Because it doesn't matter. You've maybe been through this six, seven times, and you think you know, you know what you're doing right. now. But there's somebody who's struggling there. Right. So, and they're right next to you every single day. So if you're going to be part of the team, you're going to be part of somebody to support, be supportive, right? right? Don't go and go into a restaurant and have lunch with them and you can, can be drinking wine. It's not about the wine or the beer. It's about, it's you know, that support supporting. program. Exactly. Okay. You're a support group. Um, so eventually, like anything that's, you know, it's just a pleasure in life. Yes, absolutely. Yes, it has to come with balance, right? And Everything. it's funny because sometimes I'll, you know, I'll go out somewhere and having, you know, uh, dinner and you know, having a drink, beer, yeah. wine, and I'll see somebody from 5040, and they're like, oh, like, what? Do you drink beer? I'm like, yes, because first of all, I'm not in the program right now. <laughs> right. And second, I know, I mean, I've earned this, right? Yes, absolutely. But what you can't do is, hey, I'm overweight, 
I'm unhealthy. It's not about looking good or not. It's you're unhealthy yes. at that moment. Yeah. You're, in, you're 45, 50 years old, and you've got 40% fat. And they're like, yeah, but I can't leave my wine glass every night. If you want to be successful in this and achieving something, you have to make some sacrifices. Mindsets. Yeah. So, again, it's about the mindset. And funny enough, but specifically with beer, wine, any type of alcohol, there's also something that, you know, we're all children at heart. So even if you're 40 and you go into a party and you tell people, oh, no, I'm doing this program and I'm not drinking. Oh, how can you not drink? Oh, yeah. come have a beer. So why? It can't be only one. Well, you're like 15 or what? But, but everybody <laughs> starts like the social pressure. Yes, of, I know. It's, it's that's, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, I'm 40 years old. I can choose whatever I want. to. Peer do, pressure. Right? Peer pressure. Yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. But it's funny because people tend to, it's just one. Right? I know. Yeah. I know. So it's not, again, it's not that we think, I mean, I like beer. I, you know, I like beer. Yeah. I like wine. And, uh, but it's about understanding that there's a balance. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I always, <coughs> there should be a balance. Yeah. So you yourself were actually a client of Rodrigo's. Yeah. Obviously a happy one. Yeah. How did you go from being a client to the CEO? Well, I used to live in Mexico City, and uh, that's where I met Rodrigo. First of all, I didn't meet Rodrigo. I, I, when, when 54D opened uh, 10 years ago, I probably came in on like their fourth year, I guess. Right. Third, fourth year, and it was already a success. You know, it was huge. They, there is a huge. We have a huge location in Mexico City. The first one, we had to up to six hundred members daily there. Right, it was a huge, like wow. four classroom thing, and that was part of that. So I came in and it was very secretive at that moment. You, there was no phone, no email. Somebody had to let you. If you went in there, and word this, of mouth. It was, it was like the uh, knock on pure, the door, give the password. Oh no! But if you <laughs> you knocked on the door and it's like, yeah, you got an appointment. No, okay, you can't come in. And like what? So it was a whole thing. It wow. took me like two weeks to get like an appointment, and then I went to appointment, and then they say, well, I want to start Monday, right? Well, no, next cycle starts like two months from now. Wow. Like, what? Yeah, okay. And the only time available is like eight forty in the morning, which for Mexico City is just like then I'm gonna start working at eleven thirty. Right. Well, yeah. Okay. Sure. Let's do this. Right. So I jumped in. Um, I went to into Psycho, loved it. And Rodrigo specifically had a uh, one group that he coached, right? And you had to go to tryouts for that. And they like a bunch of people would show up, and then they just chose people, right? So it's right. his personal your group. You still pay for it, you know, <laughs> but, yes. but it's his group. So I, uh, I went to tryouts, got in. I started training with him for about two years. And after that, you know, for some, like, personal reasons and business-related uh, issues, I, uh, I went to depression, right? I, I had, like, a very tough time in my life. I already had two kids. I was, were pregnant with her third kid. And we moved to the U.S. You know, it was getting a little bit... Know, difficult and, and scary in Mexico, and uh, we said, you know, I'm just gonna take you know, take my family and go. And literally, I left. Right? I said, you know, all of my business were in Mexico is you know pretty successful. I had some business in the U.S., but uh, I said, you know, I'm just gonna go. I, I can't take this anymore. So we left. Went to like found out what depression is for the first time. You know, and uh, and something unless you live it. Once you live through it, you recognize when somebody else has it. Uh, before that, it's very difficult. And funny, I just kept on thinking, you know, one thing that like pulled me through uh, was you think about Rodrigo training us and because he's, he'll get in your mind. And, and every time it was really hard and sometimes it was really hard. We're training like two hours a day, six o'clock in the morning, Mexico City, outdoors on the field and oh. it was freezing. Yeah. And he, you know, if you can't take this, how are you going to take it anytime something difficult, really difficult happens, right? Something happened with your kid. So I could just hear this guy, you know, talking and, and it had been a couple of maybe like year that had left 5040, 
I just kept thinking about it. You know, I'm going to go through this. You know, I was able to get through that. So I'm just going to get through this. And every single day it would be, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get through this. And then when I started feeling a little better, I called him up and said, hey, uh, you want to have lunch? He's like, yeah, you're in Miami. Yeah, I'll fly there. So I fly you know, down to Mexico City, had lunch and said, hey, you know, I think we should open in Miami. And we already talked a little bit about it years ago. And he said, why? You know, you're doing great. I mean, why do you want to jump into this? And I told him, you know, this really pulled me out of a, of a very difficult time. And I want to leave a, a legacy for my kids. And this is, this is a legacy, right? Wow. Uh, money's not necessarily a legacy. I'll jump fully into this, right? I'll leave everything aside and I'll jump fully into this. And he's, uh, he's, he's a man of his word. <laughs> he, <laughs> and I told him, there's just like one condition. I mean, he said, you know, I, I, fine, let's do this. One condition, you're coming with me. And he, he was, you know, married to kids. And he says, you know, okay, I'm gonna, they're going to kill me, but yes, let's do this. <laughs> so he got to go back home, tell them, we're moving, you know, like now. <laughs> and wow. uh, we came here in 2017, took us about a, 2017, took us about a year, change, about two years to open Coral Gables and we opened 2019. Wow, that's amazing. So <laughs> 54D is what's known to our business radio listeners as a category disruptor. Mm -hmm. In this case, the category happens to be the $96.7 billion worldwide fitness industry. Mm -hmm. How do you define a disrupt disruptor? And is it something a company sets out to do or wakes up one day with that label? No, I, I don't think. I, I think being a disruptor somehow falls in your lap uh, right. because you're already, you're already that. Yes. Um, you can't just create a company and say, now we're going to disrupt the blah, blah. When you, when you think about it that way, it's because you're trying to understand what everybody else is doing and you're trying to do something different and that's it and that should be the disruption and that's not the case. I think disruption comes when you really truly believe in what you're doing. Um, actually, when Rodrigo started this, and he'll tell the story as well, he didn't have money, right? So he started talking with a bunch of gym owners, like large chain gym owners, and telling them about this. And everybody would tell him, you know, you're crazy. That's not going to work. The business is completely the other way around. You have to sell a bunch of memberships. Right. Come. They don't come. Right. I think the last statistic for the U.S. was like 12% usage for gym memberships, right. which is insane. And they tell, you know, you're, uh, that's, that's, you're crazy. That's not going to work. Yeah. Right? So eventually you have to find a couple of people. So it's not that disruption comes from I'm just going against the grain because I'm going against the grain. It's because just I, I just believe in this and some, somehow you start building your own niche. Wow. So right now, I agree, we're pretty much the disruptors in the, in the area, but we've been for 10 years. We're like right, one yeah. of those like yeah. overnight <clears throat> 10 years in the making sensations, right? Yes. So, yes. Um, and the way we see, and real quick, because I know it's business-oriented, I mean, for us, the fitness, the fitness world just divided between, you know, like the big box gyms, which is yeah. basically their, their, their way of business is sell as many memberships as you can, and yeah. hopefully they hopefully. will come, because if not, it will break down. Then you've got like the day-to-day experience-based, you know, of the other brands, which we really respect, you know, like Barry's Orange Theory, they're great. Right. And it's about having great workout, great experience, great location, uh, but that's it. There's no, they're not trying to change your life and they're not offering it either, right? Right. And then there's us. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, I could be honest, like I've done probably every type of gym mm -hmm. but yours. But I think coming from my background and the background in fitness and sports and everything that I have, Yours sounds more attractive because there's more to it than just going into the class, huh. doing a class, and you're done. Yeah. And then everything else is kind of, there's no mindset. Go ahead. 
Are, is Omar interviewing you for 54D right now? No. You're, you're, <laughs> you're always, always You're selling yourself right no, now. No, you're no, like, I, I need I mean, this. Always yeah, listen, you know, it's, for me, I, I think the big, uh, uh, what he speaks upon is, is discipline. Yeah. And it's what lacks from a lot of gyms. Yeah. And I think you lose a lot of that discipline. Be, because, I mean, I, in all honesty, like people have a hard time yeah. sticking to something. Of course. And the discipline in life, whether not only it doesn't have just only apply to the gym it's eating it's mm-hmm. lifestyle it's business it's everything mm-hmm. being disciplined and sticking to a plan and carrying that out i mean i don't know if that really exists in 90 percent of of people out there no it's definitely hard and uh, before we started we were talking about you know even in terms of business you have to be disciplined to allow yourself to lose some revenue to run a business like yes. this one right? i mean yeah. Um, and and it, is a, it is a tough choice. I mean, just from saying, okay, and again, talking about disruption, what's your goal? Right. Is it to maximize you know, uh, revenue? Yeah. Is it to deliver results for our, our goal is to deliver results, right. to change people's lives. Yeah. For now, in order to do that, we think about the best way to do that. And if it happens to be that we're going to be closer for the holidays because our members are not going to show up because it's obvious that they're not going to show up. As, that's when they're drinking their wine right. and beer. Yes, yes. So... We're not going to be open. That's it. Yeah. Hey, you're losing revenue. Yeah, I'm still paying rent, but, yeah. but we're doing what we need to do to get that to that end result, right? I mean, it's a totally different mindset. Yeah. I mean, completely. And that's discipline as well. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I mean, <clears throat> the growth of the businesses is crazy, to, to say the least. Yeah. And I do have one last question sure, sure. for you. So A-Rod posted that he finally put yeah. down the chips. <laughs> no more chips for him. What for everybody else, what is your personal dietary vice that you would keep at bay? Bread. I, <laughs> I, could eat, I could eat and leave and sleep on a loaf of bread and not be super happy the rest no, of I, my life. No, I agree. I think uh, Maria too. Maria, pasta, right, Maria? Pasta. Yours is not bread. Yeah, Yours I mean, is rice. I love yeah, rice. Well, actually, it's, you know, it's like bread, bread, rice, pasta, whatever, whatever carbs that feels that you're crunching into. That. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, that, yes, that's kind of my thing. Yeah. Um, I think that would be a hard one for me. Yeah, it's <laughs> no uh, more rice. But but then again, when you learn, for example, like rice yes. was a great surprise for me because I, I can't cook for my life, right? Even if I started my business, my business yeah. originally with restaurants, yeah. but I can't cook anything. I'm oh, a the manager, sushi, the sushi, yeah, but I'm a manager. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. A, you know, I'm not a restaurateur. And when they, we started with this, and I said, you know, like rice, and for me, like fifty grams of rice was like a little tiny, like three. You know, the granules, of granules of rice. <laughs> and then when, when one day I, you know, I went and like measured it, I'm like, oh man, this is great. I mean, it, it is an actual like, right. you know, like a good amount of rice. So you learn a, a good and bad thing, right? You're, wow. you're overstepping here, but you can do more here right. under eating protein. So it was interesting. And uh, yeah, no, Arod had a great change. People think they've asked their partner, no, honestly, he came in as anybody else. That's the other thing about 54D where you're we treated just like everybody We don't else. care who you are. Right. And to his, uh, I mean, I, I know him, but we're not like friends or anything. But I will say that for somebody that's so successful, uh, we really respect the fact that he respects the discipline. Yeah. So he's been late and he's been left out. Oh. And he'll take it as, you know, yeah, that's the discipline. That's, you know, that's, uh, that's it. You know, and oh. uh, so, yeah. yeah he's, so he's great. For, for our listeners out there, <laughs> where can people go to check out? more about you guys well you can go directly to 54d.com uh you can get some uh i wouldn't say a lot of information basically what we want you to reach out to us right and then it's easier to explain which i which i love too 
And, uh, that you actually have to make a phone call or yeah. an email, do something to get more engaged. And there you can get her address and, and contact for if you're in the U.S., if you're in Miami specifically, there, we have a location in Coral Gables and Ponce de Leon. We've got a location in Design District, North Miami. We're opening Callendale. On, you're in North Miami? Uh, North Miami Avenue, sorry. Uh, okay, okay. And the Design District. And then we open Callendale on, on May, uh, New York on September. Oh, wow. And probably LA on, on January. Huh. And we've got two locations in Mexico City, one location in Bogota. And we're probably going to expand one more next year. Into South America? Yeah, we're going to wait at least a year. We'll see how next year comes okay. up for North, South America. It's been difficult. Right. So uh, for now, it's basically in the U.S. Okay. Or you can go to our website, 54D-on.com, which is for the online program. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank our guests, Troy Casey and Omar Yunus, our co-host, Maria Cabre, and our producer, Rocco Riggio, along with our editor, James Capalonga. Thank you for listening. You can catch us each Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132. Replays are on Saturdays at 8 p.m. and Sundays at 1 p.m. or anytime on the SiriusXM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, people, the thirst is real. Volume Sirius XM 106 is your 24-7 talk channel about music. Featuring shows hosted by musicians, including Melissa Etheridge. How old were you when you wrote that song, for goodness sakes? Goo Goo Doll singer John Resnick. Do you find yourself being more creative when you're in a darker place? Drummer Steve Jordan. You are embedded in American pop culture. Anthrax guitarist Scott Ian. I give a glance to my right, and it's Mick Jagger standing next to me. This is Volume Sirius XM 106. Your liner notes to the world of music.